Welcome to Slice of Life. Because a bite was not enough, you've listened to Brenda's Bites for years, and now Brenda is expanding her show to include lifestyle happenings from around the region. Now here's your host, Brenda Alacy. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of Slice of Life as we carve out topics from people from all walks of life here in Western New York. And this show is really unique because we have our first-time guest, Dr. Catherine Fricetti, will join us in just a moment. She is with the Elmwood Village Health Center in Buffalo, right on Delaware Avenue. And Dr. Fricetti is an endocrinologist, and we'll talk about some of the uh, diseases that she treats, many of which are chronic conditions that need to be managed. And you're uh, you're welcome to call and join the discussion as well. The doctor is in and she is taking your questions right here on the show, 716-803-1520, 716-803-1520. And our second segment, we'll switch gears and we'll head south to beautiful, beautiful Ellicottville and talk with Brian McFadden, who is the executive director at the Ellicottville Chamber of Commerce and talk about how COVID has affected the uh, many signature winter events in that lovely village and how they're dealing with some of the other issues uh, regarding the coronavirus and some of the things that are happening in the ski world down at Ellicottville. Fortunately, uh, the ski resorts are open and it's a great way to get some exercise, be outdoors and enjoy uh, the region and some fun, uh, much of which is needed as we continue to navigate through the coronavirus pandemic. But first, let's talk with Dr. Catherine Fricetti, who is a first-time guest on our show, and it's a pleasure to have her on board. Good morning, doctor. Yes, good morning, Brenda. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on board. And unfortunately, there are many, many conditions like diabetes and thyroid disease that seem so prevalent in our region, doctor. And uh, thankfully, on the other hand, there are providers like you who can help us manage those conditions. Uh, what would you say are some of the more common disorders you see as an endocrinologist? Well, first I would say diabetes, um, both type 2 diabetes, which is more common, and also type 1 diabetes. Um, we certainly have our fair share of both. And then secondly, thyroid disease. So both underactive called hypothyroidism and also overactive thyroid called hyperthyroidism. Um, those are the two or three most common things that I see in my practice. And do you find that those are the types of conditions that are uh, generally considered chronic and that need to be monitored on a, you know, either half-year basis every six months or every month or, or on an annual basis? How does that work when somebody is suffering from one of those conditions? Absolutely. So as chronic conditions, they do require ongoing monitoring. Um, in the case of diabetes, I see patients every, you know, three or four times a year. So every three months, occasionally longer if they're doing really well. But I've found that when patients go longer than that three or four month stretch to follow up, they tend to fall away from things and maybe get a little worse. So even in my very well-controlled patients, I still see them quite regularly. Um, thyroid disease is really no different. When the condition is newly diagnosed or very active, I'll see people every two to three months. Um, and then as they get more stable, every six to 12 months, but everybody's seen at least yearly. You know, it's funny, Dr., because it seems like, you know, I talk to a lot of people, and even in this era of COVID, I'm still in touch with a lot of people, and so many folks in this area seem to suffer from one of those two diseases, whether it's thyroid disease, where everyone seems to be on Synthroid, or there are people who are dealing with uh, type 1 or 2 diabetes. 
Well, let's talk about some of the risk factors. First with diabetes. Um, and I wanted to ask you too, as we tie it into COVID, so many folks have been confined to their homes and haven't been able to exercise as they normally would. Have you found that there's been an increase in diabetes due to uh, more folks uh, who have obesity because, in fact, they are not able to get out and exercise like they normally would? Has that spiked the increase? I think so. It, you know, it absolutely is a risk factor. Um, the, and you asked about the risk factors. For type 2 diabetes, genetics are actually the number one risk factor. Um, if you have a parent with type 2 diabetes, you have about a 50% chance of developing the disease yourself. Um, so that's a huge risk factor. And then you add on top of that your lifestyle. So things like exercise and diet um, can kind of tip somebody away or towards diabetes. So if you have a family history, you're at risk, and then you can make some choices, hopefully, to decrease your risk. Um, but during the pandemic, you know, not only have people been exercising less with you know, our gyms being closed and the weather being colder, um, but just they haven't been eating the same as they normally do. So with everything kind of closed up around town, people are turning to food. Um, and that's, you know, understandable, but something that we have to actively work on on a regular basis, all of us. Right. That's for sure. That's part of the challenge, too. I mean, our lives have been turned upside down, certainly. And and uh, that, that just dealing with uh, the day-to-day routine has been so di- terribly disrupted that that's part of the challenge as well, is trying to get that exercise in. And as you very well point out, doctor, the weather is not cooperating if you tend to try to exercise outdoors. Uh, I tend to take a walk, a long walk every day and bundle up and just get out. And I find even for my mental health, it's good because I'm getting out of the four walls of my house. I mean, who would have ever thought we'd be talking (laughs) on an interview show where I'm broadcasting from my kitchen table? You know, life is so different now with this pandemic. But, but nonetheless, um, it's important, I think, to get out. And in my case, I like to walk as much as I can. Uh, and there are certainly some malls that are open, some large shopping centers where you can get steps in and, and keep moving. So there are ways to do it um, by being socially distant as well. Uh, so what do you recommend, Doc, when we go back to the risk factors for diabetes in this case? You talk about family history, obesity. What do you recommend people do if they are diagnosed with diabetes? Well, first, I think, is to learn a little bit about what diet or what kind of foods are going to make their blood sugars rise and then how to try to limit or eat those foods in moderation. Um, So that's the biggest part of the things that they can do on their own is identifying it's not just sugar. You know, people have a feeling that, oh, I'm diabetic, so I shouldn't have sugar. But it's also starch. You know, it's things like bread and pasta, rice, and snacks that are starchy. Um, so knowing what foods raise your blood sugar and trying to eat those in moderation and balance them out with other things. Um, and then also getting that exercise in, you know, making that conscious effort. I sometimes counsel patients to focus on you, to try to remember that, You may have a busy life, you know, home life, family, kids, spouses, jobs, but you have to schedule that exercise. And I think trying to get 30 minutes of exercise every day um, focused on exercise is really important to controlling the condition. Yes, and it's a good stress reducer, once you say. I mean, that's part of it as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And then the third thing I would suggest is finding and creating a relationship with a physician or provider that you trust. 
So that may be your primary care physician, especially if you've had a long relationship with them. And in the early stages of type 2 diabetes, you know, primary care doctors do a lot of the management. But if needed, specialists like myself are available, and we can kind of add a layer of, um, you know, medical advice that you may, you may need. So recognizing when the time is to see a specialist um, and making and keeping those appointments. I recently read an article about the uh, health benefits of cinnamon, of all things. And, Doctor, I'd be curious about your opinion on spices and things that are not, you know, from a drugstore, not a prescription that you would write. Do you find that any herbal supplements or spices like cinnamon, for instance, can help folks with diabetes or other conditions? I think there's some data that they can. Um, But you always want to try to follow science and follow science-based you know, recommendations. Um, I know that cinnamon certainly won't harm you, so and it won't raise your sugar, so I think it's harmless to try it. And there is some evidence that it may be beneficial, so that's certainly a good thing. I'm somewhat skeptical of things that kind of haven't been studied or proven and wary of just trying things without checking with your doctor first. So I think if you have any questions, certainly asking your doctor whether they think it's at least reasonable to try or would cause harm. So we always first think, do no harm, and then after that, we think, will it benefit? So if, you know, the item you want to try, I would check with your doctor, see if they have any objection to adding it to your regimen, and if not, you know, go for it and see how it pans out. It makes sense, and and cinnamon in this case certainly tastes good, especially if you're putting it on something bland like oatmeal or, you know, trying to eat healthy, so you might be having yogurt, for instance. Um, a good way to kind of spice things up in a healthy way without adding calories. We're talking with Dr. Catherine Frichetti. She opened the Elmwood Village Health Center in 2012. And doctor, you have some really impressive credentials. You went to UB for medical school, and you also um, went to practice, I should say, at the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, which is part of Harvard Medical School, and uh, then had a fellowship at UB. And you're an alum of Cornell. So Pretty good credentials. Uh, Has it been um, an interesting ride for you as an endocrinologist? I mean, I imagine that you're learning something new every day in your practice. You know, I absolutely do. Um, I learn from my patients. So you think you know things and then someone teaches you otherwise, you know, so you always have to have an open mind and try to listen. And that's one of the most important things I do is try to listen to people's concerns. Um, They may not you know, have an impact directly on them that day. But over time, you may find that, you know, you learn something and you can adjust your practice accordingly. Um, And, yeah, so I have had an interesting ride. I'm originally from Syracuse, New York, and I've lived in the upstate New York area for my entire, you know, career in life, except for those few years in Boston, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Uh, Great to have you in this area. Uh, young, progressive doctors who are treating people. And it seems to me, doctor, that our area has a lot of older folks and many people, as we discussed initially, who have thyroid disease. And I'd like to delve into that a little bit about um, how how uh, common it is in this area and the treatment for it. Um, I like to read a lot about thyroid disease, and I read about Synthroid and also about things, uh, a, a medication called Armor. Is there a lot of controversy surrounding the efficacy of a drug like Armor thyroid medicine? You know, um, there there is the opinion of people in my field, endocrinology, that 
the preferred product to treat hypothyroidism is Synthroid and medications that are in the same family um, as Synthroid. You know, Armour Thyroid comes from animals, um, comes from usually pigs, sometimes cattle, um, and it doesn't really have the right ratio of thyroid hormones for humans. And I don't typically prescribe it, and that's of the same sort of feeling and opinion of most endocrinologists, is that it isn't exactly the right mix of thyroid hormones for humans. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I have a strong preference towards, you know, Synthroid or meds like it. Right. And we should talk a little about what the thyroid gland does. It's the butterfly-shaped gland uh, in the front of one's neck. And it's really kind of a, it's a small gland, Doc, but it certainly uh, packs a punch, doesn't it? It's really kind of a master gland. Absolutely. Thyroid basically drives metabolism of every cell in our body. So it has impacts everywhere from your brain to your heart to your intestines and really everywhere. So people always think about thyroid, about their body weight or whether they lose or gain weight, but it's also how how fast your heart beats or how fast you digest food or even how clearly you're thinking and functioning mentally. So it has very, very wide reaching impacts across the body. And it's, you know, keeping it in good health is extremely important. Um, And that's why I'm a big advocate when you have a thyroid condition of making sure you're monitored closely. Um, You don't just sort of take a medication and then stop following or monitoring it because it can change over time. Yes, yes. And it's monitored through simple blood tests. Is it, and, and obviously the doctor will physically feel one's neck. Is that typically how you monitor thyroid patients? Absolutely. So the blood tests help, you know, determine the levels of the hormone in your body. And that's the thing I was talking about with the way it drives the metabolism of our cells. We also have to feel it in the neck because thyroid nodules or little lumps in the thyroid are also quite common. They're typically monitored by ultrasound. Another very painless, invasive, and simple test to have is an ultrasound of your neck. So we do a combination of lab work, examination, and ultrasound to fully evaluate thyroid conditions. Now, that would fall under hormone disorders, right, Doc? Absolutely, yep. We consider what? hormones to be any, it's a protein. Hormones are proteins. And so they are signals in our body that tell other cells what to do and how fast or how, you know, how to do it. Fascinating stuff. What are some of the other common hormone disorders that you treat? So the pituitary gland in the center of our brain behind our eyes is actually the master gland. And it makes seven hormones that direct other glands how to make their hormones. Um, so pituitary conditions are common as well. And then we, I also treat um, adrenal disorders. The adrenal glands are sitting on top of your kidneys. And finally, um, bone disorders that relate to the parathyroid hormone, um, which is the parathyroid glands are sitting near or next to the thyroid gland. Um, in addition, there are hormones that direct our reproductive health. So ovaries and testes direct reproduction and those hormones are also fall under my purview. Wow, so I gave uh, the master gland designation to the wrong gland, right? <laughs> it's not the thyroid. But uh, it, it's amazing to me how much the thyroid can control one's health, you know, because there are yeah. so many things that you could rack up things. So, you know, uh, I'm not thinking clearly. Well, maybe it's because I'm not sleeping well or I'm under stress or I've been putting in a lot of hours. Uh, or weight gain, or, you know, what you were talking about with other symptoms. 
it's got to be almost like you're a detective in some ways, right, Dr. Fricetti, that you've got to sort of ferret out the details and find out what's actually happening and what's causing these symptoms for people. Absolutely. That's actually the most favorite part of my job is I do think of myself a little bit like a detective and trying to figure out how what's happened. Sometimes people will come after you know, an event has occurred, and it may be many months later, and you're trying to piece together this puzzle. And I absolutely consider that to be the most interesting part of what I do. Absolutely. I, and I commend you for that because it does require a lot of work and investigation, asking the right questions, compliance, of course, with the patient. And speaking of patients, uh, what's it been like for you in the practice along with your staff to maintain a practice in this era of the pandemic? What kind of adjustments have you had to make? Well, mostly we've adjusted to tele- telemedicine. Um, we started using telemedicine in March when the pandemic hit us and have not stopped. Um, for quite a while, we were only doing telemedicine. Now we're doing a combination of in-person and telemedicine appointments. And anybody can choose, you know, if they prefer to be seen in the office versus on, you know, the computer or cell phone or virtually. Do you find, though, that it's difficult to get an accurate diagnosis? I mean, you obviously can't feel anybody's neck or, you know, look the person in the eye um, face-to-face with telehealth. How how difficult is it for you to to actually practice what you do under those conditions? You're right. You know, for new patients that really need a more complete evaluation, I actually am seeing those in person. And I didn't, even during the worst part of our pandemic, do telemedicine for new patients. So we really only did it for our follow-ups and still we'll see those patients, you know, at least once this year or last year. Um, and it's really just kind of those in-between check-ins that we can utilize telemedicine to its fullest capacity. So as far as the challenges of telemedicine, you're right. A lot of what I do is data-driven. So as long as the data is available and I can talk to someone, the majority of my follow-ups of what I need. Exam is important but sometimes can be deferred to a future visit and just focus on the data and what's, how the person is feeling. Yes, that makes sense. Some just concrete information at your fingertips. And, but for the folks who do come into the practice, which is located at 1083 Delaware Avenue in Buffalo, uh, right across from Canisius High School, easy to find, easy to navigate, 1083 Delaware Avenue. Do you find that people will comply with mask wearing and you know making sure they're washing their hands and sanitizing? Have you had any issues in that regard? We had no issues. And, you know, occasionally a person will forget their mask, and we have them in the office to provide when they walk in. Everyone's been great. You know, we've had nothing but cooperation from our patients. Our, my staff is phenomenal. Um, we're willing to work with anyone and help them out. We really haven't had any major issues. Everyone's pretty understanding, you know, what's been going on, and it's just a global pandemic, and everyone's adjusting. And before we close, Doctor, I have to ask you, there's a lot of talk about masks and there are a lot of anti-maskers out there. Uh, it's really become a political tool in many ways. What's your opinion of wearing masks? Should people continue to wear them even after they've been vaccinated? You know, I think the data isn't clear. But for now, until we have more clear data, I would wear the mask. It's a pretty harmless, you know, intervention. I would just right. say, if you're in doubt, wear the mask. Um, after vaccination, I'm not sure. You know, I myself have been vaccinated and I'm a huge proponent. I tell anybody who has the opportunity to get the vaccine, please get the vaccine. Um, check with your doctor. Make sure there's nothing specific about your health that would prevent you from getting it. But for most people, they should get it. After you've been vaccinated, 
you know, I think there are strains that may not be um, susceptible to the vaccine. And also, you know, it's just it's a good sort of safety thing, backup plan. So for now, I'm advising it. I think we'll see what the science tells us in the coming months. And interestingly, I'm sure you've seen this data that uh, the incidence of flu has gone way down since the pandemic. And I guess that tells you that the masks do work in, in other ways as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it is an interesting thing that flu has gone down. And I do think it probably has to do with mask wearing. You know, it's hard to know how long, though, we should continue it because you certainly don't wear masks during normal flu seasons, and even though they work. So it's unclear how long we should continue to wear masks, but at least for the coming months through this winter, I would continue to wear them. I think that's very good advice. Dr. Catherine Forchetti, you can reach her at 716-768-4636, 768-4636. Elmwood Village Health is located at 1083 Delaware Avenue in the city. Doc, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule on a Saturday morning. I really appreciate the information. Thank you so much for having me, Brenda. My pleasure. We'll be back right after this with Brian McFadden from Elkneville Chamber of Commerce. Thanks for tuning in to Slice of Life. Now back to your hostess with the mostess, Brenda Alacy. Well, thanks for tuning in and thanks to Jim Stelliano back at the station, uh, making sure everything runs smoothly from the control board. Well, we are delighted to have an encore appearance by Brian McFadden. He is the executive director at the Ellicottville Chamber of Commerce, and he joins us on the line. Good morning, Brian. How are you this morning? Good morning, Brenda. Great. How are you? Doing well, trying to keep warm on this last Saturday of the month. And (laughs) speaking of keeping warm, it's certainly ski season and uh, snowboard season in the beautiful Ellicottville region. How are things going this year, and, and how different is it from last year with the pandemic? You know, you'd be surprised. Uh, we've had a very good run since uh, things opened up in late July, early August. I think it's because people know that we've been very serious about following the COVID rules down here. The word got around, and uh, we have been extremely busy. Uh, so it's been wonderful. That's great to hear. And I remember talking with you uh, several months ago, Brian, and kind of kiddingly said, well, when you go skiing, you have on a mask, and, <laughs> and you might have goggles on, and you certainly bundled up, and you can more than easily stay six feet apart. And yet, that's very true. So do you find that folks who are enjoying winter sports, uh, it actually works well in terms of keeping safe with the pandemic? It sure does. And, uh, you know, we think of uh, how great ski season is in Ellicottville with our tour resorts here. But there's so much more to do in the outdoors here in the winter than just skiing. So if you're not a skier, this is still a great place to visit in the winter. What would you recommend if one does not put on skis? Well, we've got uh, Mountain Coaster in Holly Valley, which is really fun. It's like a roller coaster through the mountains. We have a tubing park, we have guided snowshoe tours, we have horseback riding, and of course the amazing village shopping and dining. Oh, definitely. Well, Brian, it makes me want to jump in my car and take the ride down. Um, And it's a little bit different, I would say, than other eastern U.S. ski areas. How how distinctive is what you do at Ellicottville, uh, different from, say, other regions that you could drive to in western New York or even in the northeast uh, of the U.S.? You know, I think, Brenda, the biggest reason here is that we're a, t- we're a team. We're a small community. There's only 1,800 people live here, even though we do a million and a half visitors a year. Um, but our visitors see that, and they see that as mom-and-pop stores, and uh, they respect them. Um, so it's, it's a totally different clientele we have here, and they're, they're, it's just been great. Although this year we've had a lot of new folks coming to town from fairly distant uh, drives uh, because they've heard of Alicaville, so we've had a lot of new, new visitors. 
I guess that's a silver lining in the COVID cloud for you, Brian. Um, and also, you know, you mentioned uh, the bars and restaurants in the village, part of the charm, certainly, of life in Ellicottville or tourism in Ellicottville. What are you hearing about COVID regulations and as the zones continue to change on a regular basis from the governor? I get a kick out of that when you mention zones. I get lots of calls at the office here from people from outside the area. What zone are we in? What color? I always say, well, let me look out the window. I think we're white. <laughs> That's for sure. That's the one consistent thing. We have not been in a zone this year. Uh, during the warm months, uh, we worked with the village and changed the uh, outdoor dining rules to allow a lot more outdoor dining. And I think what we're seeing here now is folks are coming in. Lunch is no longer 12 to 1.30. It's 11 to 3. People are realizing mm-hmm. they've got to spread it out. And dinner's 4 to, till close. So uh, we've been attracting people that way. Everybody adjusts in the way they need to, I guess. And, well, it feels like uh, winter has definitely arrived in western New York. Brian, I imagine you're looking ahead to spring and summer events as well. What's on the we docket? Sure are, uh, cautiously optimistic, I would say, and you've heard that word used a lot of times. Um, <laughs> we're, we're gearing up to start July 4th weekend with our summer music festival and run our full slate of events throughout the summer. And we're, we're going to do a lot more pop-up events, uh, small ones. You know, the, There's always something going on in Alecville, and there will be. So uh, we're looking forward to the summer and fall. Now, uh, I was tooling around on your website this morning. It's an excellent site, by the way. Uh, what do you find that most people go to the site for? Are they looking for those events? And by the way, you're really keeping it updated, too. But uh, give your website a plug, if you would. Well, you know, it's com is our website, and it's changed almost daily. Uh, we keep up, up to date with the merchants. But, you know, typically everyone would go first to events and second to lodging. That's changed now with the pandemic. They're going to shopping first. Aha, uh-huh. interesting. And yeah, you can go uh, right to the top tabs there, events, shop, eat, play, stay, and uh, other things of interest for people who want to visit the beautiful village of Ellicottville. Brian, stay safe and well, and I hope to see you down there one of these days. Thank you so Great. much for joining us. Thanks, Brenda. That'll put a wrap on this edition of Slice of Life. Thank you to our guests, and uh, look forward to talking with you next week right here as we carve out another edition of Slice of Life. Thanks for listening. Brenda will be back next Slice of Life on ESPN 1520.